0: Hello, and welcome to the strength to be human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In this our third year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi folks, and welcome back to Strength to be Human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. This is going to be episode 181, Ailments and the Arts. Now, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> I'm still not completely uh, healed myself over here from this horrible sinus issue. But I wanted to put a, together an episode that, that talks a lot about physical problems that uh, that that creators that artists, writers, etc. can have and still work through and, and, and persevere and sometimes even allow it uh, to change the art or, or maybe their perspective on life but still continue to be creative and, and artistic. Now, I have uh, purposely removed anyone with mental illness on this show because I wanted to talk about different elements in the, in the arts. We've talked about mental illness a great deal. In the history of this show, we've had plenty of episodes on it. I'm sure we'll have more in the future. But if I were to add that to the show, the show would be like three hours long. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. So this is really going to be the non-mental elements uh, in, in arts. And you'll be surprised by a number of people who had a lot of issues and, and some of the things they had to work through. Okay? All right, so I appreciate that. I just want to get that out of, out of the way up front, just so you know. All right. Now, I'm able to um, actually frame some segments by the illness itself, and then we'll talk about the various artists. And sometimes they can't because, you know, it was long ago, and they don't really know exactly what disease it was. They just sort of have a group, or category of it, and that's all I can do on that, all right? All right, so let's start first with one that's pretty pronounced. Uh, it's been known for quite some time, and um, it might not be such an issue with writers anymore, and this being asthma because of uh, a lot of the treatments that we have and medications that really can help control it. I'm not minimizing it. It's not like something I would like to have or have my children deal with. I know some kids that, that have that from school so it's still not the easiest thing to deal with at times but you know we are in the 21st century. We have a better chance of dealing with it and living with it and not having problems with being employed and, and, and getting married and having children and etc. So it's not so bad as it was, you know, 100 years ago, which was far different. All right, so here is a, a list of a number of artists and writers that I have, we, were stricken with this. Uh, John Updike, Dylan Thomas, Edith Wharton, Charles Dickens, Benjamin Disraeli, and Marcel Proust. That's just a a short example of some. Now, where it concerns Dickens, now he's very interesting in this particular category because he dealt with it all his life. It's believed that he might have contracted it from working in the dirty factories when he was a child because, you know, his father had died and he had to help uh, the family make some money. And they believe that he contracted it from that. And he is also the first novelist to ever have an asthmatic character written into a novel okay he wrote a character uh, who was a shopkeeper in um, in David Copperfield a character by the name of mr. Omer okay so <coughs> excuse me it's not unusual for um, for creative people and, and artists and etc to sometimes you know incorporate some of that in there it's not that unusual Um. Where it is concerning uh, Marcel Proust? Now, Dickens was still a pretty social fellow, and even though he wrote a great deal, he still attended uh, parties and functions and charities. He did a lot of social work, so he either concealed his asthma or figured out ways around it, or maybe he just went out on when he felt the best that day or something. Where on a uh, completely opposite is Marcel Proust who pretty much confined himself to mostly being indoors and, and wasn't very social and didn't go out a lot. Mainly because he had an asthma that was a more of a severe type. He'd go out there and you know get some pollen, some dust in them and the next thing you know he's you know, coughing and choking to death. And again, he didn't have a whole lot of medica- medications back then. So he was mostly the indoors type. I can't tell you if his health or his condition made him the kind of writer that he was, which was more more of the the thick, dense type of writing that you'd have to go, man. What he? You have to read it a couple of times. He's not the easiest guy to read, and it has nothing to do with his his French being translated into English. I, I, I've known French speakers who say, "Jesus, this guy's difficult." So who knows? It might have some bearing on that. That's for sure. Um, I read that. Where it concerns Ian Walton, um, it definitely interrupted in in, in the times when she was writing. It even interrupted during uh, um, her pregnancies. So, um, wow. But uh, that's what they had to deal with back then. Uh, Dylan Thomas, uh, I'm told that it, it came to a situation that it ultimately triggered some sort of like I don't know if you want to call it temporary but at least you could say it's more of a seasonal type of depression because uh, he really wasn't on the depression list of, of artists but they say that you know he had bouts of that because of the uh, dealing with asthma i know it's pretty amazing all right um now there were plenty of people over the years that were dealing with all kinds of lung issues as you know tuberculosis back in the day That was one of the most number one killing of people, other than pneumonia, tuberculosis. Ironically, both these conditions now, if you catch it in time, you can treat them with an antibiotic, and they're gone, cured, literally. But, uh, you know, in a more advanced version, even today, will kill people, especially if you're elderly. Now, uh, George Orwell, who changed the name of that from uh, his birth name of Eric Blair, he had damaged bronchial tubes from a bacterial infection when he was little okay later on he wound up contracting tuberculosis in the Spanish Civil War that's ultimately would kill him years later tuberculosis is one of those diseases that it takes its time through you you know you go from pain to discomfort to shortness of breath to the next thing you know you're coughing up blood and that could be anywhere between 5 and in 8 years of, uh, ...of that kind of torment... ...progressively getting worse until you died. And that's what happened to him. He died in the sanitarium... ...from tuberculosis. But he had... ...this lung issue his entire life. I'm, I, w- I was reading that... ...he wrote... ...1984... ...literally... in an, ...an enormous amount of pain. You know, so if you ever wonder... ...when you read some passages about... ...some of the things he's talking about... ...you know, in, the, in that society that supposed uh, utopia, you have to be uh, uh, amazed on how he was probably drawing upon some of the the harsh things he was dealing with himself, you know, personally and and physically. But he wrote a number of books, numerous amounts of articles. His voice was well known, especially against uh, some of the dangers of communism. One of the first to really talk about that and and brave enough to do so. All doing this under the... uh, horrible illness of bronchial issues and lung impairments and then ultimately tuberculosis. I guess it just followed him through his life. So here's somebody that, just like the person that was born and had to deal with depression from their early ages to the the day they died. It's a very similar situation for him because uh, he's dealing with an ailment that is not going away and he still has to, you know raise kids, and do his political work, and, and charity work, and speaking work, and all his writing, I mean, he's still doing all of that, as he's never feeling good any day. It's always a, a day of, of discomfort, if not pain. It's really why it's so important for us as writers, especially, and artists of course too, that <laughs> we've put together, before things happen to our health, a system of, of discipline and, and one that relies upon um, routine, maybe even sometimes faith to get us through things, to get us through, uh, you know, bouts of writer's block, to get us bouts through depression, to get us through bouts of this, you know, the typical illnesses that we have, you know, I mean, I've had pneumonia before, I've had the flu before, not COVID stuff, but still, you know, sinus infections a couple of times in my life, God knows I've had the Stomach full at least five times because of my kids bringing it from school. Remember, I'm the older guy with the younger kids. So, uh, other than childhood diseases, which I've never had before as a child and never got now. Thankfully, my, my kids haven't either. You know, I've just had just about all kinds of things. So and, and you still have to work through it all, you know, and, and, and figure out, you know, ways to, um, to maintain your, your imagination when the reality is knocking at your door. Whether it's punching you in the gut or making you throw up in some toilet bowl. Which, by the way, after you do a couple of stomach flu bouts, I'm telling you one thing. You you, you learn to clean your bathroom even more than you normally do. Because you never know when your face is down there. You like to know that at least it's clean. Because God knows you're going to mess it up. So it's a little side note there, okay? From someone who's thrown up a lot in the past. Believe me. So it is good to have... In your own system, you know, uh, a route, a routine, you know, uh, just a whole system that you might have created for yourself that helps you when you have those issues. Because you'll be able to use it and lend and lend lend uh, your own talents and, and lean on it when you have problems. Because believe me, it's not easy to uh, to write or be creative when when you when you're just dog sick. It just isn't. So I can't imagine people doing this on on a monthly, yearly, 20, 30, 40 years basis. I can't even I can't even believe understand that. I'm telling you. I've been sick for a week or two, but I've never gone beyond that really. So it's a, a real testament to their um to their talent and to their faith and, and certainly uh, to their determination to get their work done regardless of what their, uh, their health uh, was uh, given them at the time. You know? Alright. Now, this is gonna. I'm not trying to make a joke out of this or so make light of it because it's a serious thing. Uh, Henry James, apparently, he had many issues with a lifelong uh, ailment uh, called chronic uh, constipation. And if anyone's not aware of that, that's where you feel like you have to poop, but you have a lot of problems doing so. It's rough on your stomach, it's kind of painful. In all kinds of different ways. So apparently that was a, a ongoing issue for him. For many years. Now this is a fellow wrote Trapper her Cancer. And all kinds of other interesting work. A lot of it. Uh, sort of um, risque. I'd say at times. Maybe even. Uh, you know. Sexual in, in nature. Which I gotta hand it to anybody. Uh, including a writer. That if you could write things that are sexual. When you can't even poop. Jeez. God bless you. But uh. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, if I'm throwing up or I'm in the bathroom for a long time, uh, there ain't nothing sexual coming up in my mind. Not one bit. So, God bless you, Henry James. But again, it just shows you how, when a person can maintain, regardless of their, you know, their stomach issues or whatever they're going through, if they can maintain that imagination, I guess, uh, both on a theoretical basis and, of course, on a practical one like Henry James, if you can maintain the imagination, I guess you're going to maintain your storyline, too, which in his case was, you know, a lot of dashes of sex all over the place. That shows you the, the the kind of guy he was. He he did not he did not play around. He was like, yep, got to get this in here. And then later on, I hope I can poop. I mean, it's a hell of a life if you think about it. Now, we've had, and I could probably uh, route off a million of them. I'm just going to do a couple for the show, all right? Uh, we've had a few uh, writers that either were born blind or became blind later on from the disease, or had serious uh, uh, sight issues throughout their entire life, and it only kind of got worse over time. All right, so we have a number of them. All right, first one, John Milton. This is the man that wrote Dante's Inferno, considered uh, one of the uh, one of the real greatest uh, of, of poets. Uh, he was blind uh, from middle age. Uh, once he became middle age, he became blind. Contracted some kind of illness, and he never recovered from that. But of course, he still, he still wrote. I don't know if he learned Braille or not. I didn't really see that in the bio, and I would have to still know. Uh, he just write whatever notes he has. Probably had someone help him, you know, interpret stuff and put things together. I'm sure, but. Yep, he continues his writing I guess in many ways if you go blind you, you, you probably don't have too much of an interruption in your imagination once you kind of get you know used to the you know your state of blindness uh, James Joyce uh, this is definitely an interesting one here and again won't make light of it it's just a matter of fact what he's dealing with here okay all right so he uh, he contracts uh, a all right? If anyone knows anything about some of these uh, these um, sexual diseases like um, syphilis and, and ganglia, um back in the days, they didn't really have much of a treatment for it. And it just didn't go away. So what often happened is, is that it became uh, an element that went down from your nether regions all the way up into your brain. And in many instances, either it caused madness in this particular case, it caused a, a serious bouts of depression, but also it caused blindness. Now, if you know anything about Al Capone, he was one of the uh, horrible gangsters that he wound up dying because, you know, he had caught syphilis early on in his life and never got treated and uh, it wound up going in his brain and he wound up dying of insanity in prison from syphilis. Apparently, James Joyce was on that road. Well, he was continuing what he was doing, but he was dealing with both the bouts of mental illness and, of course, blindness. All from gangaria. Whew. I know, that's rough. All right. Herman Melville. As you know, the guy wrote um, Moby's Dick. Okay. He had an autoimmune disease. They don't really know which one it was. All they do know is that he had suffered greatly throughout his entire life From chronic pain in his joints. So walking. Sitting. Moving his arms. Probably typing. All kinds of stuff they was doing. You know. The guy was always in some kind of pain. Of course doing some incredible classics there. And of course a a guy that. Even though he dealt with that. It's been said that those that did have some social interaction with him. That he did his best to play it off. As just a. You know, something that happened that day or because he was older or, you know, old injury from the Navy or whatever. He just, he did whatever he can to, to not make an issue for somebody. So this way he can resume whatever social um, interactions he had. And um, he's quite of an uh, interesting man against slavery in Britain. He did a lot of interesting things in his life. And many people didn't really know until much later in his life. That he had this situation, and then of course, then they have attributed this to old age, not realizing that you know he's been dealing with pretty much most of his whole life. So I, I just can't imagine that, I really can't. Now, so I don't forget this one, Alex Huxley, one of my heroes. Um, he had uh, a lot of issues with his with his um, with his uh, eyesight, and uh, I think started from Scarlet Fever on to onward in his life. There was bouts of times when he was like completely blind. Other times he came back. He wound up writing a couple books. uh, Heaven and Hell and The Doorways of Perception. And these were books where he had taken peyote in Arizona. He traveled out there so that he could see visions. And part of it is he wanted to see what those people were seeing and talking about. (laughs) He was also interested in seeing if there was maybe... You know, impossible spiritual realm or something. They were, you know, they were seen possibly, and of course, you know, he had that personal need to be able to simply see with his eyes when oftentimes he had problems seeing with his eyes, and that internal vision kind of gave him a lot of comfort, and that's why he did all that. Now we have another incredible artist, as you know, uh, world famous, one of those uh, those artists that you only need to have the one name. <laughs> And you, and you know, and you know who he is, okay? And that is uh, Michelangelo. Michelangelo, because the nature of his work, which of course is you know painting, um, it exasperated the arthritis that he already had to where it, it became practically crippling. Uh, remember, he spent six years just in the, doing the Sistine C- uh, ceiling, Cicling Chapel ceiling, and uh, between laying on that uh, that he had like a sort of like a floating bench that he, they you know they, they brought brought him up there up uh, on that hurt his back a lot. But apparently, it was it was the arthritis that was the most problem. So he had a lot of people helping him with you know olive oil and uh, which believe it or not actually helps. And of course, uh, wine at times, uh, various, uh, massages and, you know, cooling things with warm water and all, I mean, all that you could possibly do back then. Believe it or not, unlike now, cause remember we're talking about like 600 years ago for him, um, that actually, a lot of those things that actually helped, that you can actually help arthritis even by using the most ancient, you know, medicinal methods, it still helps because, um. Rubbing and, and and various uh, painkillers, including wine, you know, and and oils and ointments and and massaging and you know, putting it in the water. All those things actually do provide relief. So I guess in that way he might have been fortunate, at least that um, he uh, he had something that he could deal with, versus having other elements where you know it would be, it would be impossible. Michelangelo, incredible, practically crippled arthritis although he did everything he can to continue to paint all right there's been a number of artists that actually had to deal with the spanish flu i just want to bring over one because i thought it was very interesting uh georgia O'Keeffe. all right um female writer she's gonna be a female uh painter uh married the photographer uh alfred uh, over in uh, he was born in hoboken new jersey where i was born at so it's always cool to to, to mention him and she was able to, ironically, survive the Spanish flu when many people didn't. Remember, you, you got that, and most people died. She was able to survive it. And in many ways, she had claimed that it had heightened her sensibilities in ter- terms of touch or even through her sight. And Remember, this is the woman that painted pr- pretty much flowers. So um, she said, oddly, that the flu... Definitely heightened her and these abilities of hers to be able to see and touch. But, and she knew the difference because she knew what things looked like before the flu and afterwards. That's unusual because, you know, you got people now uh, reporting that uh, the COVID flu, you know, has been lessening their, their taste and their smell and, and, and uh, sometimes even their touch. So um, apparently the Spanish flu had some kind of opposite feeling for her. But uh, that that's unusual because oftentimes... When we're talking about these writers and these artists, you know they're having to find ways around it, find ways to overcome it, find ways to deal with it, because you know it's it's hampering them. Where in, in some strange instance for her, it, it apparently helped her. All right, here's an interesting one over here. Uh, Henri Matisse. Okay, great French uh, painter. He's known by two different periods. First, he's known about the period of realism of his art before he had cancer. Later on, he has cancer. He has surgery for cancer. It winds up, winds up taking his ability to walk. So for the rest of his life, Henri Matisse had to be in the wheelchair. And he learned to adapt various techniques of his art in a wheelchair. Different forms of art now that are still being used to this day because of what he invented. And of course, you know, um, surely it would help you if you're already in a wheelchair. So um, he didn't stop the painting. But something else did happen that was interesting. Where before, he was strictly about painting realism. That's things that are there already. Uh, Once he went back to painting after the, the wheelchair confinement... His painting was more about imagination, and he came and gave up realism. He wanted to write. Uh, he wanted to uh, paint more things that were, you know, that were out there, that was on the edge of things. No longer was he interested in the reality, you know. He wanted to uh, look into a different world. Who can blame him? I mean, I could tell you right now, I, I'd probably want to go that route myself because, you know, if you want to, what's the hell the point of realism when you're in a damn wheelchair? You know what I mean? Finding it hard to poop, and you can't walk, and there's a whole lot of things you probably can't do. So I think imagination would be really helpful at that point, <laughs> you know, because realism really did you uh, did you a blow. We don't need any more of it. So I definitely can understand uh, uh, his perspective on that. That's for sure. Now uh, another one I, I found that was uh, that was incredibly interesting is Francisco Goya. One of my favorites. Okay, now another another one who uh, who contracted a sexually transmitted disease. You know, I'm not going to go into the you know into the biography of their lives to find out how they did this. Who the hell knows how that happens? I mean, you could probably get it just as innocently as you can get it. The ways we probably thinking of it right now. Okay, but nevertheless, he wound up having to deal with neurological problems from syphilis. Of course, unfortunately for Goya, he compounded these problems by using mercury to treat it, which caused him to even be more sick. Because, you know, mercury is a poison. Often a poison that makes you crazy. They used to say, as a, um, like a phrase, a household phrase back in the day, he's mad as a hatter. Well, you know what that meant? That meant that a lot of the people who were making hats... They used to wear hat bands that were full of mercury, and they would seep into their in their skull. They wound up having like all kinds of unusual problems with neurological problems and becoming eccentric, depressed, a little wacky out of there. I mean, so that's what happened with him. And again, another another um another artist that that had that split work where before. You know, the, the syphilis had caused neurological problems. He was dabbling in painting and realism. If you remember his, you know, his ballet dances, those are some of my favorites. And then after sick, he went back to imagination. Again, you got your brain beaten, eaten up by a, a sexual disease. Uh, yeah, I think imagination is definitely the, the path to take. <laughs> That's for sure. Because, uh, you know, they had no cure back in any of those days. Quite frankly, I'm not really sure now. If you allow syphilis to go that far, if they could do anything about it, I really don't know if the antibiotic would actually work when it goes that far. I know before it goes that far, yes, there are ways to cure it and, and get it over with. But I tell you, we we forget uh, uh, how important an antibiotic is, uh, and that we we take it for granted. You know, I take it every time I, I get ill, and if I if I take it, you know, I always think about the people in the past, and man, if they had this, they could have still been alive. <laughs> That's what I think all the time. I say, oh boy. So that is my definite take here on ailments and the arts. It's important to note that without without faith in the kind of work that we do as as creative people, it don't even have to be religious faith. Just the the faith of you know, our our talents and the things we want to express in the world that's out there, maybe some of the truths we're trying to create uh, in, in a way to share as an art. You know, without all of that, <laughs> now's it, now it would be harder for me to consider this, you know, continuing to live, you know, in, in a difficult world. Because I don't care what century it is, the world's always difficult. You know, I can't imagine having one of these elements and then having to deal with that on top of all of that. You know That's why it's so important for us to try to strengthen our art, our, our, maybe even our soul, by learning what others before us had gone through. And learning by those now that need our help. There's plenty of things we can do as volunteers out there that will help us. It will help us in our creativity. It will help us in our humanity, which I happen to think... Are directly linked. The more humanity you have, oftentimes the more creative you can become. So don't forget about helping some folks. It's not hard to do. Whether we're dropping off some meal, or meals for wheels for some senior citizen person, or trying to uh, volunteer to help people at the at the shelter for the dogs, or the shelter for women who have been battered, doing the car wash for the you know for the cop association, you know, to have some funds when. When they get hurt on the job or maybe even killed so their family can can have some funds to, you know, to move on in their lives. Those are the things we should be thinking about because those are the times when we help others. That I really feel, if you don't believe in, in God, maybe you believe in karma, that it will return to you when you need it the most. And when you have issues the most, because I tell you, it is difficult. I know from my own experience to to do any kind of writing when you have a cloud over your head, whether it be depression or, you know, or some form of illness or maybe even just some injury for a while, you know? You ever have a dental uh, problem, even if it only lasts a couple of days? I mean, it's excruciating. It takes, like, all your concentration away, you know? It makes you feel like you're, like, just some... Some cave dweller who can't go into into the modern world, and you know, until so somebody yanks a tooth out or fills it, or you know, gives you an injection or antibiotic or all of the all of the above. So it doesn't really take that much for us to get off of the center of where we're supposed to be at. It really doesn't. So we're all going to have to face this now and then. That's why I wanted to frame a show around that, just to to remind people about how we need to persevere, how we need to have faith. How we have to make sure that we do whatever we can to, you know, to beat up on the days of doubt. Or beat up when doubt tries to come. Because I can tell you right now, if you're having a normal life right now where nothing's wrong with you, and you still have to deal with doubt, imagine how much doubt is coming for you when you're sick or when you're injured. Doubt's coming with like a whole gang of people. Hi, I'm Doubt with my seven friends of Doubt. I mean, there's like eight friends of Doubt trying to punch you in every every possible part of your body. Because when it comes, boy, it, it comes in groups. So that's why it's really important to to do whatever we can to try to maintain our rituals and, and our routes and and all the things that we do on a routine basis that helps us get prepared to be creative, that helps us to put down some notes, or take things from notes to become creative, because we're going to have these dog days, and when we do, you know, we want to, we want to respond, you know, in the best, in the best that we can, and I mean, I'm not, I'm saying you're going to be 100% to do this, I'm not even going to say you're going to get everything out, but it's better than getting shut down, and, and, and having something take something from you, you know, there's nothing worse than having illness take, a quality of your life. And and if creativity is not a quality of life, hell, I don't know what is then. So don't let it do that, okay? All right, folks, that's uh, Strength to be Human, Elements in the Arts, episode 181. This is your host, Mark Antony Wassi. Until next time, God bless. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.